Well, uh, it is a great day, isn't it, uh, for us here in Lindisfarne as we uh, welcome uh, Andrea and her family uh, amongst us. It sort of feels in many ways uh, like uh, we've been waiting for this day for uh, some maybe six to 12 months uh, as it sort of came on the radar. You might remember uh, at the uh, Christmas in July dinner that we had uh, in July last year, it sort of was on the radar and it had been on my radar a little bit before that, that something might happen and that God might be up to something to bring about this day. And so it's exciting, it's really exciting to be here. I've, I've, I've seen the excitement in some of your faces as you've uh, uh, come today, keen uh, to meet Andrea and uh, keen to, to see what God, has done, uh, God will do. And of course, in some ways it marks uh, a new season, uh, which marks the, the, the transition from a season where God has already been doing uh, lots of remarkable things. It's been wonderful, hasn't it, to see how God has blessed us as we've sought to figure out what it means for us to be a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. It's been wonderful to see as we've prayed that prayer of Paul's from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, uh, that God would do immeasurably more than we could ask and imagine for his glory, that we've seen a growth in maturity of people, a growth in new people who have come and joined, a growth in our financial resources and our ability to, to fund the ministry and the mission that we want to do. God has done immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Those who've been here for five years, like me, know that uh, to come to this day today is, is mind-blowing. God has been so kind and we are right to be excited and uh, we're right to anticipate lots of uh, good and new things that God will do in the future. We start today a four-week series called Every Member Ministry and we do that because as we welcome Andrew and as we feel excited and as we uh, are excited to get to know her gifts and passions and uh, uh, learn uh, from her and uh, we need to remember that she is not our saviour. Just a helpful reminder. Just take the pressure off you a little bit, Andrea. <laughs> we need to remember that I'm not your saviour. Well, you figured that out by now. <laughs> and I think it's important that we do just stop as we start and remember what God calls us to as his people, because I have heard it, and I have even felt it myself. Oh, we'll get to that when Andrea gets here. Oh, we'll do that when Andrea gets here. Oh, that will happen when Andrea gets here. And it's right that we've been kind of waiting for this next season, but of course, the Bible teaches us that we don't employ Christians to do the work of ministry, but rather we employ leaders, we set aside, we don't even employ anyone, we, we set aside uh, Christian leaders to equip us and help us to do the work of ministry together as the body of Christ here in Lindisfarne. And that's what this series is going to be about, reminding us of that truth. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ and each of you are part of it, each of you gifted to do different things, all vitally important for the work of of the gospel. 
but we'll come to the body of Christ in a few weeks' time. Today, we're in 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to talk about the priesthood of all believers. This is a foundational idea for the fact that together we share in a ministry uh, that uh, God calls not just me to, not just Andrea to, not just Emma to, but all of us to. Let me take you right to the end of our reading. There's Bibles in the chairs if you want to have a look. 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a remarkable piece of scripture. The description here that Peter gives is, is mind-blowing if you stop and think about it. Peter here says that the people of God, you and me, are what? Chosen by God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And what Peter is doing is he's applying the, the language of the Old Testament and the, and, the, and the people of Israel to all the people of God, regardless of their uh, racial background. The fulfilment of God's Old Testament uh, prophecy and law is now achieved not through physical birth into the line of Abraham, but through faith in Christ. Anyone can have access to God through faith in Christ. And when we, when we put our faith in Christ, all of us become priests. All of us become part of this nation. All of us become God's special possession. And this new identity that we have in Christ as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, this identity that you have and that I have, it comes to us not because uh, you're special, you, you are special because you're God's special possession, but you didn't do anything special to earn it. It comes to us because of God's mercy, verse 10. This is a great gift of God. And so that begs the question, well, if that's who we are, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, then what is our job? What is the job of every Christian? What is the job of each and every chosen person? What is the job of each and every royal priest? What is the job of each and every special possession? What is the job of each and every holy citizen? Peter says it there in verse 9, it's to declare the praises of God. It can be easy to think, isn't it, that, well, that's what Chris does. He comes, he stands up at the lectern and he, he declares the praises of God to us and we come and we receive that. And I guess, you know, now Chris will do that a bit less and, and Andrew will help him do that and I continue to sit here and receive that. But of course... That's not, how, that's not what Peter has in mind at all. He has in mind all of God's people having this single identity in Christ, all declaring the praises of God. 
when you realise that you're God's special possession, that you're part of his holy nation, that you're a royal priest, that you're a chosen person, how can you not declare the praises of God? When I think about my life and all the stupid things that I have done, And yet God in his love and mercy has been so kind as to consider me special because of what he's done for me in Christ, because of his great love for me in Christ. How can I not declare his praises? How can you not declare his praises? Which begs the question, well, how do we do that? The first thing I want to say is, it's... in one level, it's quite simple. We get to know God, we get to know more about what he's done, and it just happens. As we read the scriptures, you open the Bible up today, you read 2 Peter 1, uh, 1 Peter 2, you can't help but start praising God as you learn what he's done for you in Christ and who he's made you in Christ. It also seems that Peter has another Uh, idea for us as to how this goes about and that is by living a changed life or living a good life a life where we put to death sin and put on righteousness a, a life where we commit ourselves to becoming more like Jesus it's just after the reading that Kerry had read to us but in chapter uh, 2 verse 12 he says live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I want to say that this is one of the areas where you probably have an advantage over someone who's set apart by the church to, to lead the people of God. That is, this week I spent a lot of time with Christians, doing Christian things, because I needed to do those things as in my role as a minister. But you probably spent a lot of time in the world, amongst your non-believing work colleagues, friends and others. And as you're out there every, each and every day, what a great opportunity you have to live such a good life that it points people to the glory of God, that it leads them one day maybe to declare his praises. And Peter describes this life of praising God and as, as, as of living a good life as one of offering spiritual sacrifices. If we go back a little bit into verse 5 of chapter 2, you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, by this, Peter doesn't mean that when we declare God's praises or we live a good life among the pagans that we do this in order to atone for our sin. He's already told us back in chapter 1 that this has happened through Christ. Let me just read you from verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So it's not about pleasing God for salvation. But when we live differently, when we declare God's praises because of what God has done for us, our life 
of praise, our life of spirit-empowered difference, it makes God pleased. Just as in the Old Testament we read that the aromas of the sacrifice were pleasing to God. Our act of spiritual sacrifice is an act of holy living, of declaring our, his praises. Peter calls the church to this again in chapter 1. He calls them to be holy because God is holy, verses 15 and 16. And Paul, using the idea of spiritual sacrifice, uh, connects this same idea of holy living with spiritual sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to... Oh, I've got the wrong verse in there. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Romans chapter 1, which... Romans 12.1, which says, I'm going to have to do it from memory, offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Oh, yeah, which is acceptable and pleasing to him, do not conform to the pattern of the world. There we go. Christians are called by Paul, by Peter, to living the good and the godly, uh, and, and godly life. A life that is different from the world around us. This is the calling of all of us. Because it brings God glory. It is pleasing to him. And so, I want to ask you today to think about this. How different are you from your work colleague? How different are you from your unbelieving neighbour? Because Peter says... That when we live like this as a, as a royal priest, as a holy nation, as God's special possession, when we live this out, it makes us look different. He says in chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That is, as we seek to resist sin and put it to death and start to live out God's holy way of life, we become different. Other translations call, call us strangers and aliens. A friend of mine and I, uh, who, who's also a minister, we have a, have, a, have a joke. And we joke to ourselves that when we, when, when we kneel down before the bishop to be ordained, one of the things that happened to us is uh, we got made socially awkward. So you'll have to see if Andrew in two weeks' time next Sunday suddenly uh, um, she's less she's easy to talk to. And part of that's because, you know, it, it is... So, so I experienced this last night. You might have seen it on Facebook. I went to the ball with Lisa uh, and uh, I was getting to know some of her uh, soccer friends and um, it, things conversation was progressing quite well until it gets to the normal part of a conversation where it's like, and what do you do? And I say, I'm a minister of church. And they go... <laughs> I say, it's okay. <laughs> we can still be friends, please. <laughs> but actually, all of us are meant to be a bit weird. All of us are meant to be a little socially awkward because 
As Christians, we're on about something completely different to the rest of this world. We're on about the glory of God. We're on about pleasing Him. And that's going to put us into constant conflict. Not necessarily like fighting conflict, but just like grating conflict with the world around us, which is on about pleasing itself and doing its own thing. The aim of the Christian is not to kind of look as much as possible like the world around us with with the addition of a little bit of Jesus who gets us through the tough times. It's to be holy as God is holy and to be a stranger and an alien, a weirdo for the glory of God. It's to look like a tourist in our own city because we're so different and our allegiances are so changed. Our spiritual sacrifice of living such a good life will lead to us living a different kind of life. And of course, we know that the Christians that Peter wrote this letter to, who he was telling to live this good life as God's chosen people amongst uh, the pagans... They were getting persecuted because it's hard to live for God's glory in a world that doesn't want to. Well, as we seek to live differently, as we live out our calling to be a royal priesthood, it seems the other thing that Peter's pretty keen for is that as we live together different lives in, our, in the world, and as that maybe brings us into tensional conflict with our world, that we love each other deeply and support each other to live out God's calling on us. 1 Peter 1.22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart we're going to be the people God has called us to be collectively we're going to need to love each other deeply to do it and in fact as Paul opened uh, sorry as Peter opens chapter 2 I think his encouragement of the sins to to get rid of are the sins that undermine love in a community aren't they look at verse 1 rid yourselves of all malice and deceit hypocrisy ender and slander of every kind because that's not going to help you be a community of deep love and care as you seek to live such good and different lives amongst a world that's on about anything but God. Well, how do we do this? How do we live out our identity? How do we live differently? How do we love deeply? How do we constantly declare the praises of God? Peter gives us some advice too, doesn't he? Verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The method for living differently is not trying harder, but by feeding on Christ. As a baby craves spiritual milk, so we ought to crave Jesus, his words to us. 
his life-transforming power. As we look to Jesus, as we focus on Jesus, he brings about in us a transformation that enables us to love deeply and to encourage one another as we seek to live differently and to declare his praises as we see God work powerfully in our lives as we witness to the world. Well, it is a wonderful day. A great day to be welcoming the Hensher family uh, to worship among us. And I hope, guys, that you will feel the kind of deep love that Peter calls his church to. But they're only going to feel that love, guys, everyone else, if you love them. And me too. And I hope that they and you and me, that all of us will seek to live together to encourage one another to be the royal priesthood, to be the chosen people that God has made us in Christ and that will encourage one another to look at Jesus, to reflect on Jesus, to feed on Jesus and allow him to transform us deeply from the heart. Together, we are part of God's holy nation. Together, we are a royal priesthood. Together, we are God's special possession. Together, we each have a life of sacrifice to God to live. God has called you into his family. He has called you out of darkness into his light. Not just me or Emma or Andrea, all of us, part of the family of God expressed locally here at Lindisfarne for his glory. So let me invite you as part of this family to praise God for all he's done for us and to pray and ask him to continue to transform you and to enable you and equip you to live differently so that your light will shine to the world around us. Amen. Amen.